Um, I think Pastor Andy mentioned in his sermon that uh, I had the chance to, to go to Kona, Hawaii in, on a short trip. And I know some of you are like, oh, poor guy, man, poor guy. Um, but in my other life, I, I served at, on the mission field with Youth with a Mission for about seven years. And if you don't know what Youth with a Mission is, it's a, an interdenominational missions organization. It's probably one of the largest in the world. I think they have about eight, 18,000 full-time workers and then a ton of short-term workers. And they're, uh, the founder of Youth with a Mission is a man named Lauren Cunningham. And I had the privilege of... Um, traveling with Lauren Cunningham for about a year in my early 20s, and he was a mentor to me and, and just a wonderful man of God. And so um, he has been diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer, so he has uh, stage 4 cancer that's all throughout his body. And um, a friend of mine who works there in Hawaii said, hey man, it'd be a good time to come out. There's a, a window of opportunity there to be able to spend some time with him and thank him and, and uh, allow him to pray over us and so forth. And so you know, on Wednesday at 8 a.m., Rochelle and I were booking a ticket, and uh, I, uh, I went solo on this trip. My poor wife didn't get to go with me, but she sure helped make it all happen. And so 8 a.m., we buy a ticket. 11 a.m., I'm on the road to LAX and then had this awesome um, four days there. And what I want to say about that is I'm so grateful for our team here that I really don't need to be here. It's just the most amazing thing. They're like, go, dude. I was like, well, I'll be back on Sunday. Why? Like, just... Go and experience all that God has for you there. And so I felt that freedom, and, um, and God was so gracious. What I, what I learned from this man of God who is 87 years old, and uh, I learned this verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, um, and we had this experience of seeing this very visionary, uh, tremendous leader being diagnosed and saying, you know, hey, go get your affairs in order. And so he goes home and he says, well, I know I'm supposed to be in pain and I'm supposed to have no cognitive ability, um, but I have both. So as long as I have it, let's just do this. So like, I mean, speaking for three hours to his leadership team and having people over at his house and then just casting vision like, I mean, just the Jedi that he is. So uh, he was laying out a a, a vision um, that, that Youth with a Mission is a part of for Bible translation Um, all throughout the world. And this is in the heart of God, I believe, because you hear it in organizations uniting all throughout the world to get the Bible in the mother tongue of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And it's very possible in this moment in time through technology and all the things that we have at our fingertips. And so I was able to do that and then able to um, spend some time with him and so forth. But uh, probably those were all highlights. But one of the highlights of my trip there, I didn't expect to be able to preach in a church in a little town called Halualoa, if you're familiar with the big island. And um, it was a church that started in 1853. It seats probably 50 people. Um, the service is still done in Hawaiian for the most part. The, the worship is done on ukulele. And um, I just said it like a white dude. It's like ukulele. But really, anyways. Um, and, you know, just to be with the people of God there was just an amazing opportunity to get to preach at that church. And I got to tell you, um, it, you know, I love this place. This is, this is where I, this is where I belong. This is where I am. But there's something about sitting in a, a wooden pew and looking out that way and seeing an, like, out the window and an unobstructed view of the whole Pacific Ocean. There's something pretty cool about that. Uh, but, but all that to say, um, I was so glad to be home. And one of the things that kept me almost from not going on that trip, truthfully, we had like, you know, a little minute to decide and I almost didn't go. Uh, I'm great. I'm grateful that I did. I have no regrets from it, but I almost didn't go because I didn't want to miss what God was doing here. 
That's the truth. I don't know if you have that same kind of anticipation, but like, I, I want to be at like the men's group. I want to be at Sunday morning. I'm just like, God, what are you going to do? And I don't want to miss out. And so I hope that you come to the table today with that same sort of expectancy, because that's the God that we serve. He longs to move in our lives, and he's doing something really beautiful in this moment. It isn't just here. I, I found out it isn't just here in Orange, right? It's happening in places like Hawaii and in, in the South and all over that you see this sovereign move of God. And what I love about it is there's no famous person behind it. Don't you love that? I'm so over that. I am so completely over the next person to follow, the next merch to buy, the next whatever. You just see in places like this, people hungry for Jesus. And God graciously and gently, like he's been doing here, manifesting his presence. It's like a gentle, and and, I know this sounds like contradictory terms, but it's like a gentle power. Are you with me? It isn't flamboyant. It isn't like, come on, do it. You know, you got to. It isn't guilt. It isn't like, you know, the worship team's jamming out on the best song and all your emotions and all the feels and the lights. And then you, it's just a general um, sense of the, the love of God just being placed upon his people. And God longs to refresh his people. And so, um, so yeah, this is the heart behind our Easter theme this year. If you saw the beautiful graphic that Bailey designed, you see like a lot of blue. You're about to see a lot of blue happen on this stage next time you come. Um, the, the, this idea of the springs of living water that are ours in Jesus. Amen. That, that God has refreshment for you. And this refreshment comes as you tap into who Jesus is and who he longs to be in your life. And so um, our theme for Easter is, I am the resurrection and the life. That, that it isn't something that, um, that we beg God to, to make us happy or, or better or whatever else, but that as we're in Christ, that we are, we are walking with the resurrection. That the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and I. And so Easter is a reminder of that. And so, um, so this year we're super pumped for Easter, and Andy already gave the announcement about that. But another date that I'd love for you to write down is a save the date. You ready for a save the date? Drum roll. It's like five drum rollers, man. I thought like, I thought you'd be like, oh, oh, you weren't here last week. Super cool to see you again. Like, I'm going to do the drum roll. No, I'm just kidding. Um, May 28th. Okay, May 28th. Mark that date down. It's a Sunday. Um, You remember that I announced several weeks ago that we, by the grace of God, through miraculous provision from God, paid off this building. Yeah. Do we have that? So, so this is a text that I sent to George Plaw and Don Granger. Those are the two signatures that are on there, the board members who signed that loan. And what does that say in red? Paid off. It's so rad. So you guys, if you, if you weren't here, if you're visiting today, it's a longer story. Come up after. I'd love to tell you. I tell everyone and anyone that will listen. But God sovereignly provided $2.3 million for us without us even asking. There was, no, there was no campaign. There was no plea. God just provided it for us, which was the exact amount that we owed on the building. So we're just like, hmm, I wonder what we should do with that $2.3 million, you know? So... But we, we were able to pay off this building, and so we want to celebrate it well. Um, kind of the, the theme of some things that the Lord has been speaking to this congregation earlier in the year um, is that of jubilee. Are you familiar with that term? Jubilee. Jubilee is found in Leviticus chapter 25, and it's, it's a time, and you'll see it repeated in there, where um, we're, everybody treats everybody else right. 
right? You don't take advantage of anybody, that you don't reap nor sow, but the land produces and you eat off of that. So for a year, you find this favor of the Lord. If you're a slave, you're, you're set free. If you're in debt, your debt is canceled, right? It's this amazing gift of God. It's a Sabbath over the entire land and all its people. And the tragic thing about Jubilee is there's no record of the children of Israel ever engaging in Jubilee. They never, as we, as we can tell, maybe there's some Bible scholars in the room that could say differently, but as far as I know, we have no record of them actually enjoying the Jubilee that God wanted to give to the people and to the land. But what, what is Jubilee for us as New Testament, New Testament believers? Jubilee is every day. Every day that the freedom that God has for us. And so we believe that this is a special season for us. Would you agree? I mean, how often in the history of our church has someone gone, here's $2.3 million. You know, that's a big deal. But not only that, the money is significant, but it's really honestly no big deal to God. Like, seriously, the God of the universe is 2.3, 5.7, 10.9. It doesn't really matter to him. But what's significant is that he knows our needs and he wants to meet them even before we ask. And so it's been even more significant in my experience as your pastor is watching God do reconciliation in families, watching God do healing in hearts, watching God do supernatural physical healings, that this is all testament to me of a season of God's favor that we want to lean heavily into. We don't want to make the same uh, mistake that it seems the children of Israel did. If God wants to bless you, don't you want to like go forward into that? And I'm like, I'm not sure, right? So in this season of Jubilee, um, on the 28th, we're calling it a Jubilee celebration. We're, what we envision is like a big old all-day-long church service, right? And before you're like, what, dude? I don't want to sit in a pew all day long and sing songs and whatever. We're saying Sunday morning, we worship. We praise Jesus. We open the, the word. Sunday after, we eat like crazy, man. We go Old Testament style. And we're, what, what, we're, um, what we're talking about for this is we're calling it um, the theme, Bring Your Best. Okay, bring your best. What does bring your best mean? That all the meat lovers in the room, all those of you who own Traeger grills, and you're good at it. <laughs> and you're good at it. We want you to bring your best. We don't want, we don't want like, you know, like some janky burger or something like that. We want like tri-tip and, and, you know, we want bring your best. I mean, it could be a good burger too. So, so we, those who, who are, are barbecuers, we want the best barbecue. You know, those who are bakers, man, bring your best. Dig into great grandma's recipe. You know, the one that right now you're thinking of going, my mouth is watering. How do I even pay attention from here? We want, we want you to bring your best there. Those of you that are artists, we want your best creations. Those of you that are musicians, we want your best songs you know, and, and the list goes on, and we'll make this more clear to you, but it's what we're doing is we're bringing our best as unto the Lord, and then we're enjoying our best to, as an offering to Him. Are you following me? It's like, a, it's like a potluck on steroids, you know? It's like there will be no Kentucky Fried Chicken at this particular Bring Your Best. There will be no last-minute, like, Taco Bell or Del Taco, like, the best that we give to Him. Our best, you know, our best vegetables. Like, do you, are you following me? And as we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll organize it. We'll have a meal together. We'll play together. And we'll have our grass area filled with games. We'll have time for conversation. We'll have time to bring your chair and just sit back and watch kids playing and just doze off if you want. 
And we'll come back together in the evening and it'll just be a full-fledged Thanksgiving ceremony of worship to Jesus. Just praise and worship, thanking God for what he's done. Amen? So we're going to bring our best. May 28th. That's that. And uh, man, am I ever excited about it. So God is good. And we'll talk more about this season that we're walking in. We believe it's not business as usual. And I hope that you feel the same. So before I go any further, oh, he was there a second ago. I was going to see if you and your husband wanted to come up and talk about the mission trip that you were on. But we'll wait till he comes back. Oh, there he is. Aaron, let's hear for Aaron Axel, everybody. Can I, can I invite you guys to come? Would, would you be willing to do that? Um, it's like semi put you on the spot, but we kind of talked about it. Um, the Axel family are some of our favorite people in the world. Aren't they yours? Yeah. And uh, Aaron and Jill and their tribe, I think some of the rest of them are in their classes. But um, each year they have a family tradition to not just be hearers of God's word, but doers. And that's the context of their testimony that, that is, um, as each time this year comes around, they have a chance to go and serve the Lord as a yeah. family. So will you just tell us yeah, about it? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, so this is... Um, is it on? Is it? Hello? Hello? Yeah, there we buddy. go. Uh, I think this is our third year? Fourth year? Fourth year. Wow, it's been four years. So uh, last four years we've been going to Mexico every year and building a home for a family that... Um, I don't know how to describe it. They literally live in the, in the ground, in the dirt. And uh, sometimes they just have tarps and uh, some wooden coverings and things like that for their home. And we're able to go down there and provide a home for them. And in process of about two days build a structure for them that they can live in, like you see in this picture, with a roof, with, with furnishings, with food, with all kinds of great stuff. And uh, our family's been blessed to be able to. This is from our, our just this past year. And uh, you can see the families there. And uh, Jill, you have anything you want to add to that? Sorry. Oh, <laughs> um, I, oh so there's our kids building on the roof. It's... Um, such a blessing to be able to go down there and to see, to, to serve as God's hands and feet. And I love that they really impress to the family. The family thinks, like, what a life-changing gift we're getting at home. But what they, don't, what they don't know is what the group is really good at telling them is that what they're really looking for is Christ. And, um, and that God wanted the home for them. And called us from wherever we came from. People come from, our group is all from Orange County. But they're from all over the United States. And they say, God called these people to be the hands, his hands and feet to build this house for you. Mm. Because that's how much he loves you. And um, this, a, a side story for this year is that one of the, one of the staff members helping us on the team um, was actually... A recipient of the home, oh, wow. and she was in the video that I showed our kids before we went the first year of her family um, preparing to receive the home and participating. We build alongside them, so we get to know them. Um, but she was a recipient, her family, and she said after, um, excuse me, she said after the first week, they realized this isn't what we were looking for. Our problems. Our family problems, our marital problems are still there. And um, YWAM does a great job of follow-up ministry and connected them with the church and mentored them. And they realized, like, it's Christ we're looking for. Mm. And uh, they now pastor the church that mentored them. And um, awesome, man. Yeah. 
and, and work with YWAM too. And so we were able to build alongside her, I don't know, she first, she is the mom. The dad was sick for the weekend. Um, but, you know, and they're, so they're able to mentor these people that, you know, this is a great gift to you, but it's really Christ you're looking for. And, um, and it's just, you could see the family, like some of them, the, the family we ministered to last year had never heard of Jesus. And so for them to hear this, it's like, gosh, I thought we were looking for a home, but really there's something else. Wow. And there's something that these people who are building for us have that they would give up their weekend and that they have this joy. And, um, and so it's, it's a beautiful ministry to be a part of, a beautiful experience. So thanks for all who supported us. And um, yeah. I just have to add something to that, too, because I remember when Jill first told me about this trip, I thought, that's great. We can just give them money and someone else will go build a home. <laughs> you know, that sounds great to me and good for them. But to go down there and actually start building a home with them, with the families, and uh, being able to witness the best I can in my horrible Spanish, and, um, but actually paint and, and, you know, and have see my, see my family working alongside with us and seeing Josh run a nail gun, which is scary. Um, but to actually build a structure with your own hands and get dirty and have the wild dogs running around and all that stuff, it's, it's, I always tell Jill, I, we take vacations every year. I don't even call this a vacation, right? Because we're down there working, but it's my best, it's my favorite trip of the year, for sure. I get more out of it than just going out to eat or whatever. This is probably one of my, my favorite trips, and it's what a blessing it is to be a blessing and to be used by God to do this. It's, it's phenomenal. I don't blame you, Kate. I don't blame you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted them to share because I know many of you have been praying and you know about what they do, but I also want to just have them share as casting some vision for you that, that, you know, this is way more doable than you might think. And talk to Aaron and Jill and find out how they do it. And, um, and you would have a church that would be behind you in prayer and, and support. Um, but this might be a cool opportunity for your families or a group of you, you know, a group of young adults that want to go and do it or whatever. Um, this, this could be a really cool thing. So keep it in your heart and in your mind. And if you feel that little bit of a leap inside of your spirit, don't be afraid of it. Press into it and see what God might want to do through you in um, this kind of mission opportunity. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 5. Um, we're going to get into God's word today. James chapter 5, we're going to wrap up our series in James uh, today. And um, by God's grace and through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get through the whole chapter. Um, how many of you felt a little smacked around by James? You know, that's kind of the deal. James doesn't pull back any punches. That this letter that we've been reading, we've been calling the series Practical Wisdom, um, but James goes right to the heart in so many issues. And some of the big themes that, that it's, in, it's covering in this small letter, which by the way, we did like a one-two punch on you with James and then First Peter on Wednesday nights. I mean, these guys, they must have been talking to each other in their writings because there's so many similar things that's calling us out as the people of God and as humans to lay down our, our pride and walk in humility, to, to give our anxieties over to God and receive the healing that we need, to, 
to, um, to not oppress the poor, to, to make decisions that are wise with the resources that God gives us. I mean, it's some real deal stuff. And you can't read the book of James without being convicted. But the beauty of conviction, and James straight out gives you opportunity and calls you to a place of repentance. Like, we're allowed to talk about sin still, right, in 2023. Is that okay to talk about sin? Because we didn't stop sinning as a, as a human race. And, and yet, the beauty of it, we could focus on our sin or we could focus on the reality that we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But even in our worst moment, in these moments, God has had mercy on us and sent His Son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice for those sins, to be the, the way maker, to be the one who gives us freedom. That while we were still sinners... Jesus died for us, right? And so it's this reality that we, we look at this book of James with. And it's not just to get punched around or, or beat up spiritually or to feel like, oh, this is heavy stuff. It's heavy for a moment and then it is so life-giving and free. And I got to give you fair warning today as you read through chapter 5. Um, it's heavy in the beginning and then it sets you free at the end. So stick with me. You know, stick with, stick with the message of James because... James chapter 5 in the very beginning, um, it, it comes off with some really strong words. And one of the things that I'm keenly aware of as I read the Bible is I often like to read myself in as the hero of the story, not the villain, right? And, and so as we're reading it and you're hearing things about like rich people that oppress the poor, you're like, man, those rich turkeys, like they should really be after helping the poor. And immediately in our story, we're like, we're the poor and somebody else is the rich. And I have bad news for us all today. Everybody in this room is among the rich. You're like, dude, you've not seen my bank account. Well, regardless of what's in it, when you look at the global um, scope of the world's wealth, you're sitting in like the top 3% of it, right? And so, so this is not a guilt trip to you, but this is where the scripture becomes relevant to us. This is where, as we begin to read it, we go, okay, what do you want to say to me about the things that you've given me? And, and so what I found in the book of James is that, you know, sometimes I'm the proud man. Sometimes I'm the humble man. Sometimes I'm the wealthy man. Sometimes I'm the poor man. Sometimes I'm the one walking in injust, injustice. And sometimes I'm experiencing injustice. Are you tracking with me? This book, as we apply it to our lives you know, in 2023, it is a book about humanity, and we fit all these categories, but God in his mercy gives us direction and practical wisdom to navigate through it. And so that's the, a little bit of the, um, the background of it as we jump in. I think what you'll find is similar to the parable that Jesus told in Luke 12, um, big paraphrase, but you know, sort of the big boss goes away and the workers are, are left to, to do their jobs. And they're like, man, he's been gone a long time. And some of them work and some of them don't. And when he comes back, the ones who are just doing their jobs are greatly rewarded. And the ones who weren't doing their jobs are severely punished. And that's the context that we get this passage that we often say, to whom much is given, much is required. Can we say that together? To whom much is given, much is required. And we have been given much, right? And so, um, so it, it matters to God how we spend our money. It matters to God how we use our, our social equity or our social currency. It matters to God 
um, how we use our intellectual currency. In other words, what we do with the gifts and talents and, and what he's given us. These things matter to God, how we spend them. Why does it matter to God? Because Jesus preached about his kingdom, right? And his kingdom was the way that things should be and will be. We're not going to experience that here on this earth until he returns, right? But we are going to experience pockets of his kingdom, that, the, that, that we experience those moments where um, heaven is coming and we're going, and it's like this tension, right? And that's the mystery of our life on this earth. And what, what Jesus was preaching to us was how we ought to live and how we walk in obedience. And when we walk in obedience, I think this is really important, when we walk in obedience to God, we don't do it because we should do it or because it makes us better Americans or because we somehow are a more moral person. We do it because obedience to God equals the will of God for somebody else. Okay, I want you to think about that for a second. When I obey God, I'm participating with God to do his will for this place in this time. So my obedience doesn't get me brownie points with God. Yes, God will bless you when you obey. How many of you have testimony of that? Where maybe you've, you've taken the risk, you've, you've, you know, maybe you engaged in tithing for the first time, like, what, 10% of my income? And you've done it, and you're like, whoa, you experience a blessing. Yes, that's part of the journey. But there's something even deeper to our obedience to God that when you take that risk, when you take that step of obedience, you are literally impacting somebody else's life with the will of God that could have eternal implications. It's a really big deal. So that's why these books, like these letters, have an intensity to them. They're supposed to. It's not an intensity that's intended to make you crumble, but it's one that's intended to draw you into a, a closer walk with God and an even greater dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Because here's the, maybe the sum total of all of it. We can't do any of it without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work as conduits through us. Don't you love these passages in Scripture that, that say that God chooses the weak and the foolish? I mean, come on. I consider myself weak in so many areas. And I certainly consider myself foolish in so many areas. And it's like a relief to know that God wants to work within our weaknesses to be strong through us. That in those foolish areas, in those areas where we lack knowledge or wisdom, that God wants to glorify himself through us. And so, um, so let's jump in, right? James chapter 5 and verse 1. It starts off really encouraging. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> your riches have rotted your outer, your riches have rotted your garments, are moth eaten. Can I just tell you something a little funny? Um, you know, Andy preaches like once a month, and so I usually try to strategically give him these passages. But then, but then that um, trip to Hawaii came up, so we had to switch. So, so. <laughs> He handles the hard stuff really well. Okay, so anyways. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You know, the picture is really, it's really dim and dark, but it is kind of a picture of eternal judgment. You think of the, the eternity separated from God. You think of, of, of hell, you know, this 
place that is not intended for you or for I or for anyone in the world outside of their choice to want to be there through their own rejection of God and who he is. Hell was designed for the devil and his angels. It was the place of justice to be able to say once and for all, I'm going to make all things new and right every wrong. But you do get this imagery of like eternal like judgment, you know, with fire and so forth. And it says you've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, and here's where you begin to hear the injustice. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields have been kept back by fraud, and they're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And this is where I want you to to focus on. I don't have time to go through every bit of it, but this, this is the sentence that popped out to me. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. Again, this theme that you can't get away from, you can try to dance over it, but it's in James. The rich, the poor, justice, injustice. It says in there that you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter, as in the day of slaughter, or in the day of slaughter. What do you, what do you think of when you think of, you know, this is an agricultural society they would have known right away. We know, like, um, you know, if you're raising livestock for the selling of meat, what do you do with that livestock? You just feed them what's easy and what will give them a lot of fat, right? Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever raised a cow or a pig or something like that. You know, if you've got one in your backyard like my sister. But anyway, she lives in Norco, so it's a doable thing. But what you do with that animal, it's not your pet. You know, it's, 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 a, it's part of your wealth. Like, it's something that you're making your money on. And so you're not going to bring a skinny cow to the market. You want to have the, the fattest cow possible so that it has plenty of meat. And so in that, you're, you're not necessarily feeding that animal what's good for it, right? You're feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. And so that poor animal, whether it's a pig or a cow or a goat or whatever it is, is just eating and eating, thinking, man, I am living the good life, right? They're like, thank you, master. Like, food again? You know? Oh, I'm, well, I'm not even, oh, okay, I'll have some more, you know? And every time that they come to that little pen or that gate, what do they come with? More food, more food. And what a sad reality in the picture that it's painting there is that you think you're living the good life when we're fattening ourselves on all the luxuries that are there for us at our fingertips, but we don't realize that we're like the animal being fattened to the slaughter. Isn't that like a like a stark reality? And, you know, and you're like, man, I still don't feel good yet. When is the point in the church service where you begin to feel good, like where the music starts playing? But, but, but hear me when I'm saying this. This is truth to us. This is God's word that it keeps us on a solid path that we don't go after the quote-unquote easy meal. We don't go after the things that just make us feel better for a moment and then realize that didn't last very long. I need more. I need more. I need more. I need more. I need to come to that stall and more given to me in order to, to, to bring some kind of satisfaction to this craving that I have for stuff or for whatever it might be. And so you're left in that tension just going, ooh. And then you read chapter, uh, verse 7. It says, be patient, therefore, for the coming of the Lord. And see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. What is the word that you heard three times repeated? Favorite word, right? Lord, teach it to me. 
Then the next sentence in verse 8, it says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I read this over and over again, and then I, I just was looking at it one last time, and I just saw in my, like, kind of leap off the page, a really stark contrast. The contrast is between a fattened heart. I thought that was an interesting terminology in Scripture. You have fattened your heart. So a fattened heart and an established heart. Let's go back to the Scripture and look at it. If you look at verse 5, the indictment against the, those that are in, in just or those that are walking in the flesh is that they are consuming so much in their internal lives that their heart is fattened as in the day of slaughter. But the call is to those who God is teaching patience And as we've read through this book, often through trial and test and real pain, he's teaching patience and endurance and perseverance, which is the goal. But to those, he says, you also establish your hearts. And I began to examine that word established a little, and I I learned that it's a Greek word. Are you ready for this word? It's called sterizo. Sterizo. Everybody say that. Sterizo. We get the word steroid from that, right? And what it means is to strengthen your heart. And, and I, I've made this statement to you before. I feel it's appropriate to make it now that all that you see here is natural. All this. No roids here. <laughs> it's all natural. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> that was just the wake-up joke. Okay, so, so the... Um, the, 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 the word in the Greek is that you ought to strengthen your heart, right? And so in, in, the, in the strengthening of the heart, Thessalonians talks about it. And the things that, that we do in our patient endurance, the things that we do in our walk with God, what you're doing now, the rhythms of your life, the reading of God's word, the worship together, the giving to one another, the serving each other, that these are like so, um, seeds being sown into very fertile ground, Right? Remember the analogy, as the farmer who patiently waits for the beautiful fruit of the land... That's what we're called to do. The contrast for the other is the quick, rapid growth is give me what I need really, really fast so that I can, you know, blow up. Right. And that's the fattened heart. And, and where God is calling us today, I believe, is to this place of strengthening our hearts. And, and what's beautiful about that place he's calling us to it is he also makes the provision to do it. We posture ourselves in such a way that we want to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to give us so that our hearts are established, not roided. Well, I mean, established actually means strengthened, but that our hearts aren't fattened with things that will not do anything for us other than lead us to that place of ultimate death. Does that make any sense? And so... You know, you, you look at some of these psalms that are written. I'm going to read to you this one psalm, and then truly we're going to wrap right up because I want to give some time for us to pray over one another. Because this last part of James is remarkable. It, it leaves us in this tension, but then, it's, then it shows us this is where you go for everything that you need. But before we get there, listen to what this psalm says. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My, my steps had nearly slipped. And then listen to this. I was arrogant. Um, excuse me. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And this is that picture of those big questions that we have in life. Like, why do these 
people who are doing unjust, why don't they ever get sick? Why, why do these people who are doing terrible things get, get rich when they're doing you know, shady business? And this is an age-old cry of the heart of people who are seeing this, and it's addressed in this psalm. It says, they don't have any pangs of death until they're dying. Their bodies are, are fat and sleek. I thought that was an interesting imagery. I don't know what that means, but their bodies are fat and sleek. Um, that means I guess they can eat whatever they want and they still look good. I'm not sure. But, but, but then it says, um, therefore pride is their necklace and violence covers them as a garment and their eyes swell through fatness and their hearts overflow with follies and they scoff and they speak with malice and loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths out against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Wow. Sorry, I just have to say it. It's just like, it, the imagery plays out kind of like the most gangster of gangster rap videos. Like, honestly, like, you know, just like even necklace and like, you know, violence. And this is what I'm going to do. And, 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 and that's just one genre of entertainment. But there's something to that. Like, whoa, it's, it's like this weird fascination that people have like, well, that's so cool that you're so bad and like, you know, and you have so much and it's this weird tension. But then it resolves in verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are afar from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. That's Psalm 73, if you're interested in, in looking at it further. And so this same example goes throughout the tail end of this letter. Now he uses Elijah and he uses Job as examples. Job is like the, our guy whenever we're going through terrible stuff, right? And, you know, we read the book of Job seeking to find some comfort, partly just going, okay, God was faithful to him, but thank God my life isn't as bad as his was, you know? And we read it, and it's what it says here back in, in James 5, in verse 10, it says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. And you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purposes of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But then he says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath." Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And, and I think the picture that James is painting for us, regardless of what our socioeconomics are or whatever else, the picture he's painting for us is the stable individual who is who's invested in their spiritual life, who's sown deeply into the Spirit and is reaping accordingly, who has a... Um, a a heart that is, is built up and strengthened in the Lord. Because that person has integrity. That person doesn't need to sell you on anything. That person's yes is yes and their no is no. And, and so the good part, 
I mean, all of it's good, but it's leading us all, you know? Like, I, like I've said before, it's kind of like, this letter's kind of like classical music. It's like, you know, it goes to that dun, 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 and then it's like, boom, and it comes into something really settling and resolve. Here's the resolve. Chapter 13, excuse me, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back the sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The conclusion of this is, is the power of prayer. It's the power of not only just saying a prayer over a meal, but inviting you and I, wherever we're coming from, wherever we find ourselves after being thoroughly convicted by Scripture, like inviting us back to right relationship with God, where we can have intimacy with the Father, where we can know God, and where we can come to Him with whatever we've got going on. Now, there were, there were really three categories that I saw in coming to the Lord. And actually, I want to invite our, our worship team to come back. We're going to have an opportunity to, to pray and, and apply this scripture today. But in these, these categories, the first one that he says is, anyone among you suffering, let him pray. And I, you don't have to raise your hand, but I, I know enough stories in the room to know that, that there's been some suffering that's been going on in our lives. You know, you might go, well, you know, my suffering compared to somebody else's isn't that big of a deal. Well, your suffering is your suffering. Does that make sense? So often we, we maybe don't want to turn things over to the Lord because we know that the, the global issues are far greater than our current issues. Or maybe a friend of yours that's battling something is far greater than what you're battling. And so we neglect to do what Scripture invites us to do, to bring our suffering to God and receive the grace that we need. It says, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Isn't it interesting that the suffering sentence is next to the cheerful sentence? That in any, any gathering like this, there are going to be some who, are, who have had like an awesome season, a great week, and they're praising God. They might be sitting next to a person who's had a, just a horrendous week or a difficult season. And this is the wonder and the beauty of the body of Christ. But it's also showing us that we can come to God with everything. He cares about it all. If we want our hearts to be strengthened and anxiously awaiting Him, we're like, man, God, thank you. Praise you for what you're doing in our lives. You know, we have a, like a, a, a we're, we, you know, we were talking in the offices about the um, Jubilee meeting. I don't know who came up with it, but they're like, Jubilee 2.3, right? We're just like, yeah. You know, it's just like, woo, thank you, God. You, you, you provided so big for us. You know, these are things to praise him for. And simultaneously, we can be experiencing that and then also going through some difficulty. But then it, then it says this, 
Let anyone among you who is sick, let him call the elders of the church and pray over them with anointing oil in the name of the Lord. And then it gives a promise. The prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, the Lord will forgive. And here's just the bottom line. I just so strongly felt in my spirit that that God wanted to leave room for us to to rejoice. But he wanted to to heal some of the places of our heart and with encouragement that, that, that there is encouragement in the midst of suffering. That there are those that would have been among this congregation reading it that everybody knew they were sick because they were coughing or because they were in bed or whatever else. And so it's like in their helplessness or hopelessness, there was a place to come to receive the power of the Spirit to be made whole. There were those that were, were sin sick. Does that, does that come out right? Sin sick? That maybe because of some of the, the choices to rebel against God and holding that in a secret place, maybe it didn't, didn't, you're not like coughing when you're sinning, you know, otherwise everybody would know, right? So it's like you're holding this stuff in, but James is giving us the route to freedom to strengthen our hearts, not fatten our hearts in that moment, but to strengthen our hearts through finding freedom, through repentance and forgiveness. But the one area that really just rang so true to me as I was preparing this, and my eyes were kind of open to the big picture of this book, was those, there are some of us who it's pretty obvious when we're sick, because like I said, our nose is running, we're coughing, we've been given a diagnosis from a doctor. But there's a, a soul sickness that has plagued so many of us. And it's something so devious of the enemy that be held so secretly and so, and so quietly that we walk through it and we suffer in silence. And it's such a shame attached to it because if we, if we tell somebody, it'll make them think that we're not as strong as we let on to be. In my heart, I believe that God in this moment in time and what he's doing throughout the land, really, is wanting to bring a healing to some of that soul sickness, to some of the things that are held secret inside that by the touch of his Holy Spirit wants to set people free from anxiety, from depression, from the things that are too shameful to even mention. And so, so there's, there's a freedom to be healed. There's a, a, a call like Elijah who prayed to a, a, a response to be obedient and to take the risks that God's calling us to because those risks that we take literally bring the will of God into being for other people. They help them through situations and open doors for them and so forth because we're doing it as instruments of God's hand. And then third, there's a a call to be free, you know? This last part, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering has saved his soul from death and covers a multitude of sin. There's a call to be free and to come home. And some of that call is for some that are in the room right now and some of that call is an ache in your heart for somebody that, that, that maybe has a wrong concept of God, church, or whatever else. And it's a call to be free and come home. And so as they play this song of worship, something that we feel firmly as a leadership here is that we want to pray as often as we meet that there will always be a place for us here at this altar. Today we're going to obey scripture. We're going to pray. We have anointing oil. We're going to anoint you with oil if there's sickness in your life according to scripture. Um, believe God for healing. If you want to just have a touch from God, you just want to have a space to worship him, that you would feel the freedom to just come and be in God's presence. Um, but, but we're going to do that. We're going to take some time to apply his word. Is that okay with everybody? Why don't we stand together? Lord, we, 
we invite the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit into those places of our hearts that can oftentimes just shut off. Lord, our, our script at this moment is to start thinking about the next thing we're doing in the day, and we want to flip that script as well and just take a moment in response to a season we've spent in this book. And the conclusion of the season is, come to me. Come to me. Come to me with everything. Come to me with your sickness. Come to me with your sin. Come to me with your, your celebration. Come to me with the things that are so shameful that you don't want anyone to know. Come to me with your soul sickness. Come to me with your rebellion. Find freedom. Come home. This is the call. Wherever you find yourself today, that's the call. If you just want to be near Jesus, you want to just have a touch from the Lord, these altars are open. I'm going to invite some of our, our staff to come and, and just be here to, to meet you as you pray. And if, if you're in a spot where you maybe don't want to pray with somebody, just steer your, your way away from somebody and come and, and find your own little spot to be with him alone. But Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you and we invite your presence now. sickness in your body, 
Just according to scripture, we have anointing oil. We'd love to pray over you. You're welcome to come as well. Thank you, God. for each of us that are here. We just extend our our hands openly to you, God. As we receive your word today, we want to walk out of this place with strengthened hearts, strengthened through prayer, Lord, strengthened through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, help our our hearts to be strong as we await you. Your, Your return, which we know is certain, but as we await you in the everyday opportunities you put before us to be a people of justice, to be a people of peace, to be a people of humility, to be a people of obedience, God, these themes that have been so clear throughout this season in James, may we be those people, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the freedom that comes, Lord. And committing everything to you. And we do that now, Lord. Our, our material wealth, our gifts, our social status, wherever we find ourselves, God, we give it all to you that we might be obedient to your word. What we read in Romans, that we're to offer our lives as living sacrifices to you. This, our reasonable act of worship. Thank you, God. We honor you. We worship you in your precious name. Amen. We're going to continue to minister to those who want it. And if you'd like to come, um, we know there are others that have things to do. We want us to uh, dismiss you if you, you need to take off. But please know that there's time to linger here and there's people here to pray for you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.